Brew Strong is brought to you by morebeer.com, where a man can brew like a man. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> greetings, greetings. <laughs> yeah, still going to work on that, huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, keep, keep, keep searching. You'll, you'll, it's, you'll, you'll find one. It sounded good in my head. Oh. I really like Palmer's creativity, though. He's really trying. <laughs> he's, he's, he wants a greeting. <laughs> he's giving it. He's giving it his all. You know. He's going to get it one of these times. He's going to blow you yeah. away. He's going to blow hey, howdy, hey right out of the water. You won't even know yeah. it. <laughs> I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. Because each, each time I'm, uh, all right, what's what's up next? Yeah, I'm here. This is Jamel Zanishev. I'm here with uh, my good uh, Bruin brother, uh, John the Rock Palmer. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today, John? I'm good. I'm on my second bottle of Firestone Pale Ale, Pale 31. And uh, life is good. Right. With beer, life is good. Very, very simple equation. Yep. Uh, without beer, life is bad. Very bad. Yep. And and speaking of which, uh, you know, uh, make make the life good of uh, Inland Empire Brewers. They've got their uh, 22nd annual Southern California Regional Homebrew Championship. And uh, that is occurring uh, July 25th, uh, 2009 at Main Street Brewery, uh, Corona, California. I think you can go by there and uh, participate in that, judge, uh, help out as a steward, things like that. But uh, if you can't, you might want to uh, enter. You can enter up to uh, July 11th at noon is going to be the the cutoff date. You can visit uh, www.hopheads.com, and that's where you're going to uh, uh, get the, the rest of the details. And... The really cool thing about this is, uh, for a uh, a uh, BN Army listener, you get a dollar off of each of your entries. You go to the uh, uh, Brewing Network forums, and you download a coupon in the forum under uh, beer events, and then uh, you get a little discount on that bad boy. And, uh, you know, uh, competition's a good way to uh, get some, some feedback on your beer. You know who we have? We're, we're, we're talking uh, uh, decoction uh uh, mashing today and that's 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 our show for today and uh we've got a special guest on the line we got uh, denny cone denny hey hey my How brother you doing, denny? hey dudes i'm i'm kind of intimidated after hearing that opening you know <laughs> intimidated or uh, repulsed which, which a, a bit of both i guess now that you mention it <laughs> <laughs> how are you guys doing we're great we're great as always glad you're here and we're cool. glad you're here to talk uh, decoction with us. Uh, this is an interesting subject with a lot of controversy. You know, I've I've said myself, uh, oh, you know, I've, I've done some decoction, but I didn't really experience a whole lot from it, so I kind of gave oh, up on it. And I do, I do, uh, you know, I, I didn't think it was really worth my time. But there's other people out there that they swear by it. That you know, decoction. A good friend of mine, uh, Harold Gobranson, he says the only way you're going to make a a great uh, uh, German hefeweizen is uh, 
through uh, using decoction. And I tell you, Harold knows a thing or two. And when Harold says something, uh, you know, with that kind of conviction, I tend to, to believe what he says. So I even put it in the book. You know, Harold says, you know, do, do the decoction. You know, I'm I'm just a fat, lazy slob, so you know I, I don't tend to do a whole lot. But uh, if if Harold says it's good, then um, you know I, I gotta I gotta have uh, you know some some faith in what he's saying. So uh, why don't we kick this off with uh, uh, hey, hey Denny? Why why don't you explain to the listeners first off what what is decoction and well I mean decoction is is some is simply nothing more than taking up part of your mash out uh, from the main mash into a separate pot. You boil it for a while, and you put it back in with the main mash uh, to uh, raise the mash temp in a step mash procedure. Okay. And why would you do this? Where, where, who, 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 thought up this, who thought up this crazy thing? And, you know, I mean, what's well, I mean, the you know, purpose? It was, it was originally not done for any kind of, like, you know, flavor enhancement. It was done because the malt that they had to work with back then was so poorly modified that the only way you could get any kind of decent conversion at all on it was by boiling the malt in order to kind of burst the kernels open, and then that would help, uh, you know, enhance your conversion. And, you know, so it was really... Starting out as a uh, pretty uh, practical, might I say pragmatic, kind of procedure uh, that they did simply because they had to. Okay, so back back in time, they had crappy malt, and so they had to do this if they wanted to really get any sort of decent uh, starch out of the malt and, and get it converted and, and get to uh, get to sugary beer, you know, and, and, and save some money. Because back then, uh, fire was cheap and, uh, you know, malt was a little pricier, so they, they were focused on that. Now, uh, over time, uh, things have kind of changed around, right? And And... Are there a lot of uh, breweries today doing decoctions? Or? No, very few these days. Uh, you know, um, and I, I can't tell you exactly which ones, but I know that from communicating with various people, uh, it's a lot fewer than they used to be uh, for a couple reasons. Um, number one is that it's energy intensive and costs them a buttload of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, number two is that there have been a number of studies done, and I've, believe me, I got my desk here covered with papers uh, to show you examples, if you want, of studies that have been done where the, the results of a decoction range from negligible to easily reproducible by other less intensive methods. Mm-hmm. So you realize you're on the phone, so I can't see those, those papers on your desk. No, that's true. I can I can tell you about a few of them if you like. Okay, so the the a lot of breweries today are saying, oh, wait, wait, wait. We can we can get the same flavors just by uh, other methods that are not as costly and and would save on what is really the expensive part of brewing, which is uh, the energy and and the time. Also, labor the cost of labor has really gone up. You don't no longer have uh, slaves that you can. You can uh, make your beer. You've got uh, you've got uh, you highly, to blow your work, yeah. right. You've got highly paid uh, uh, brewers, and 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 they need healthcare benefits and all that stuff. And uh, uh, decoction takes a long time, but still, there are those out there that that swear that uh, there is some flavor difference between 
decoction oh, and these other methods. That you know that comes down a lot. I mean, it's, it's kind of two separate issues: the decoction and how you perceive it and taste for it. Um, I've done uh, an experiment with a blind tasting, and you know the results kind of came out so that decocted beers were slightly preferred over non-decocted beers. But if you put the deco- the non-decocted and the no preference between the two together, it far outweighed the number of people who preferred the decocted beers. And there have been a number of other studies uh, like that published. A couple in in, in Bravelt. Um, Lewis Bonham in uh, Brewing Techniques years ago. And then you get into the tasting side of things, and you really have to do that blind tasting, ideally a blind triangle tasting, because a lot of the people I know who extol the benefits of decoction make a decocted beer and they go, God damn, that's better than when I didn't decoct that beer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they either don't have... They aren't ready to do a side-by-side with it, or um, they, they don't set up a, a blind tasting, either, even for themselves. Uh, my, my questioning of this came about because I had two versions of the same beer, one decocted and one non-decocted, and I got them mixed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I had been a firm believer in decoction uh, when I... I, I first, about in 99, Michael Lewis published a study that he had done that uh, kind of questioned the benefits of decoction. And although I had never done one at that point, along with all the experienced homebrewers I knew, we all just poo-pooed the whole thing. Oh, yes, of course, decoction makes a difference, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, fast forward years later, I have these two beers. I run out of one keg, put the other keg on tap, and realize I can't tell which is which. Um, so that's when I kind of like started looking into this thing and and realizing that the way you taste the beers makes a huge difference, too. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting. One of the reasons uh, I wanted you on the show was that you and I are the only two people I know that have ever done, uh, you know, a, a, a test of decoction and done a, uh, you know, a side-by-side blind tasting. Uh, of of those beers, and pretty much everybody else. I'm sure there are others out there, but uh, I don't know of them that they, you know, they'll they'll just brew one. They go, no, it's better. Yeah, you know, and, oh, you know, or and that's that's what I hear a lot. It's uh, like, well, you know, who who knows what what else in your your process changed? So yeah, well, uh, one guy that I was having this discussion with said, well, I know that my decocted beers are better because when I enter a beer in a competition and the judge says it needs more malt, it's a beer I haven't decocted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Well, you know, well, and, you know, and this is a person whose opinion I really respect and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe he has ever done an objective blind tasting, which is what you really have to do. And and that goes with anything in the brewing process. When you're, I mean, that's that's part of my whole pragmatic method, man. Mm-hmm. It's like do mm-hmm. anything that it takes to make better beer, but be objective in assessing if that process really does make better beer, and if it doesn't, throw it out. Right, right, absolutely. I, I agree with that 100%. But one thing I'm, I'm curious on here now, John, is uh, maybe it has something to do with this less modified malt. Maybe maybe it, you know, it requires a certain kind of malt that we don't have any, anymore today. Or, you know, what what's going on? Is, is there a possible scientific explanation for what could be happening with decoction that's important? Can you can you talk to me yeah. about that? 
I, I, th- I think I think we're hitting on two really key issues here. What Dan, you know, what you and Denny are talking about, you know, side by side tasting. I mean, it, I think if you took the exact same recipe and you know, with same ingredients, uh, same malts, I mean, and decocted one and didn't decoct the other, I think you'd definitely taste the difference between the two beers. If you, um, but if you take and I'm I'm not specifying the style here, and I probably should. But um, let's let's say then if you st- go into this uh, this exercise with changing changing the recipe for the non-decocted beer to to add some of the melanoidin character that you would expect to get from the decoction process, I think you can brew. You know, you can clone those two beers. You know, it may take a slightly different recipe to get the exact same flavors out that, you know, with the change in process, but I think you can do it. And I think one reason that, and then going to the other half of the question, you know, what does a less modified malt have to do with it? Well, you know, as, as Denny said in the beginning, decoction was invented in order to deal with less modified malts. Um, to break up the starch endosperm, this protein starch you know complex that comprises the bulk of the barley seed, uh, when it, modification is the degree to which this uh, protein carbohydrate complex is broken down during the malting process, um, the um, and it's measured by. Um, the what we call the Kolbach index or the S and T ratio, and what that is is the soluble uh, to total protein ratio or soluble to total nitrogen ratio. And the reason for that is when you talk about breaking down this endosperm, uh, what the enzymes, the proteolytic protein enzymes in the kernel are degrading the proteins. They're making large insoluble proteins into smaller, more soluble proteins. And so what you, what a, what a maltster does and what a brewer does is, or maltster does is when they measure, to measure degrees of modification, they measure how much of this uh, total protein is now soluble. And the way they do that is by doing a chemical assay for nitrogen. So that's what that different malt sheets that you'll look at. You'll see the the nitrogen ratio or the protein ratio or the Kolbach index. They're all the same number. They're intended to convey the same information, and that is how much modification, how much breakdown of that protein starch complex has occurred. So, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, the they didn't have the tools that we have today to measure nitrogen. Um, I think the Kolbach index has been around since about 1940. Um, so prior to that, you know, they were going off, you know, visual. The maltster was looking at the malt during the malting process and trying to gauge how much, you know, how how brewable this malt was. And uh, typically, those malts were only like 30 to 35 percent modified. That is, 30 to 35 percent soluble to total protein ratio and uh, with with that degree you needed to boil the mash boil the grist I should say 
to help uh, solubilize the carbohydrates, uh, to break them down and make them make them more enzyme accessible. Uh, meanwhile, and the other what makes decoction mashing work is that you're taking just the grist out of the mash tun. You're trying to leave all the liquid with all the dissolved enzymes behind. And you're just taking the, the you know the starchy parts, boiling that to break it down, and then putting it back in the mash. So now that that part, portion that you've boiled um, is much more accessible to the enzymes. It's all about getting extraction from these less modified malts. Okay. So uh, I'll tell you what. Let's take a, a short break. And when we come back, uh, Denny, why don't you walk us through uh, the steps for doing a decoction so people can uh, understand how they, would, how they would do this on their own. We'll be back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire her up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. And the new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. 
Organic ingredients. Fresh, clean, good for you, good for the planet. And Seven Bridges has the best selection in the world. Everything is a click away at breworganic.com. Join the mailing list for special deals and regular updates about new products and specials. They have been brewing organic and serving organic brewers for almost 12 years. They can help you brew great organic beer. Check out their huge 11th annual summer sale. Everything organic is on sale until July 15th. Save 10 to 50% on all organic malts, hops, adjuncts, spices, and green coffee for home roasting. Shop early for the best selection and best deals. Seven Bridges is the host and promoter of the National Organic Brewing Challenge, the only BJCP-sanctioned nationwide brewing competition just for organic beers. Take the challenge this fall for a chance to win great prizes, including a hands-on brewing experience at an organic brewery. Seven Bridges. Visit today at breworganic.com. What's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! (laughs) Spraying live beer radio all over your face. (laughs) Can't get any better than this, baby. It's the Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zaynashev and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're talking decoction with Denny Cohn and uh, John The Rock Palmer. And uh, I'm Jamel Zanishev. We're here on Bruce Strong. And, uh, Denny, before the break, we were saying uh, you could walk us through uh, how how we do a decoction. What 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 steps do we take? What's, uh, uh, what's the methodology? Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that sounds weird until you do it, and people always say, you can do that. But uh, basically the whole idea is uh, you take grain, leaving as much of the water behind as possible, like John was talking about, and you put it in a separate pot, and you boil it for a while and add it back in. Now this is grain from your mash, right? From your mash, right. Uh, My method of doing this when I do it is I use a, a, a great big strainer to pull the grain out, and, uh, you know, let it drain for a few seconds to get almost all the liquid out of it. And put that in a separate pot on, a, on another burner I've got set up. Um, stir continuously. Get a big freaking spoon. Make sure that your uh, arm strength is up to par. Uh, you gotta, even on really low heat, you've got to keep stirring that uh, decoction all the time or it's going to burn on you, and that's something that you a flavor that you don't want to add to your beer. Um, it'll seem really dry at first, but as it starts to come up to a boil, you'll notice some liquid actually starts exuding from the grain. Um, kind of bring it up medium-slow. Uh, you know, if you do that, then you'll go through different rest temperatures on your way and convert any enzymes that are still left there in the grain that didn't get left behind in the liquid. Uh, work your way up to boiling. Boil it for as long as you feel like and as long as you can stand stirring and add it back to your mash to hit another another temperature step. Um, you can do that once, twice. Some people do it three times. Uh, traditionally, as you go through, the mashes get, or the uh, decoctions get thinner and thinner, meaning the first time you pull like as much grain as you can, leaving as much liquid behind as you can. The second time, you might go for more of a 50-50 kind of uh, 
mixture. And a lot of people who use a decoction to get to a, a mash-out temperature use what's uh, referred to as a thin decoction that's pretty much all just liquid. Now, what mm, about that's interesting. The, what about the, uh, uh, the, the mini-masher out there? Can somebody do a mini-mash uh, with, uh, you know, a bit of... Uh, uh, base grain and the rest being uh, extract. Can they can they do a decoction? You think? Yeah, you know, that? I I suppose if you were crazy enough to want to try that, there is no reason you couldn't do that. No, well, crazy. That's our listeners right there. That's our demographic. Our, our prime <laughs> yeah. demographic. Uh, I don't mean to encourage them. Then. We've got the uh, the uh, fifty five plus that wear nutters. That's a, a one of our number one demographics, and uh, the uh, eighteen to uh, thirty uh, that are crazy as as can be. Uh, that's that's our other prime demo. Eighteen uh, to thirty. I don't even remember that. Eighteen to thirty, <laughs> criminally insane. <laughs> That's 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 one of our demos. Um, yeah, new ratings book come out by the way. Uh, we're number one with uh, eighteen to thirty criminally insane. Uh, all right, so uh, for the criminally insane, how about uh, even this, it, it, John? If you're if you're trying to develop melanoidins, and melanoidins mm-hmm. are from proteins that are um, you know uh, going to be. Uh, uh, you know, uh, heat and and, and 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 moisture and the Maillard reactions. Now, what about uh, you know, if you're an extract brewer and you got just specialty grains, uh, can you do oh. it there? I mean, or could could I uh, could I take my extract, uh, water it down a little bit, and maybe throw in some uh, some uh, you know flour or something? I mean, what uh, what, what, what yeah, are the options? Yeah, yeah, you could do it that way. I mean, if I was criminally insane, I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as a brewer, you're looking, you know, the reason you're doing a decoction or uh, or the reason you're brewing a beer style that is has traditionally come from a decoction mashing method is because you're looking for a multi-beer. Um, you know, we're talking um, box. Assuming that a decoction, of course, actually produces that. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking for a Bach beer, a double Bach um Oktoberfest, I don't know. Yeah, different styles. Um, you know, Hefeweizen is another one that's produced by de- traditionally produced by decoction. But you're looking for a malt forward beer, and depending on the, I guess the the character of that flavor. You know, um, in a uh, in a Hefeweizen, you know, you're not using any. Any specialty malts. You're not using any dark malts with with that with a, a darker bread crust, toast kind of flavor, or not toast, but um, you know, uh, a rich uh, bread crust kind of flavor. You're looking for um, the lighter, you know, bready, um, light toast uh, kind of characters out of that decoction. So you don't as a, as an extract extract brewer. Um, you wouldn't want to use any dark malts. Um, you could use some, you could try uh, browning some flour, I suppose, and adding that to to a mash. But a mash uh, I, or something. Yeah, I, I it's going to call for a lot of experimentation. I think to really you know avoid going overboard on that kind of character. Yeah, that's, um, that's always the hard part there. Yeah, the and and I think one other point to bring up is that. Uh, for a beginning decoction masher, you know, uh, you've got to understand that there's a 
there's a trade-off between malt modification and the amount of soluble protein that's available, uh, your boiling time, and how much of the Maillard reactions that are going to occur, how much melanoidin character, and the and the degree of that character that you're going to develop, or how, you know how dark those Maillards get. I mean, you can start out with you know 100% uh, Pills malt and do a decoction. If you boil those decoctions long enough. You're going to darken that up. You're going to end up, you know, developing some of these deeper, richer melanoidins. They really are probably not appropriate for traditional pale, you know, lager style. If you see what I'm saying, uh, and especially if you use um, today's, you know, highly modified. Um, Pilsner malts, you know, where the degree of the Kolbach index is around 44 or 45, um, you know, there's going to be there's going to be so much more soluble protein available in that mash for Maillard reactions and melanoidins that you're not going to want to conduct a decoction for very long, you know, 10, 15 minutes versus say half an hour or longer for less modified malt will get you the same degree of character out of that boil. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, we should probably point out, too, that almost any Pilsner malt you buy, because I'm sure you guys get this question as much as I do, almost any Pilsner malt you buy these days is going to be well-modified. Right. There's only one I know of that's not, and that's uh, Brees Pils malt. And that one is specifically made to ha- be less modified at, a, at about 37 38%. Yeah. So there, that one, you know, that malt you can use for more for a longer, more traditional decoction, if the, you know for that, and if that's the kind of beer that you're looking to make, uh, then I would recommend using the Brees Pils malt. Um, Munich malt is also another is another malt that is less modified. It's also around thirty seven, thirty eight percent in terms of the Kolbach index, and uh, so if you're doing a uh, you know, de- decoctions are with Munich, and then you can, because it has that lower modification, you can give it some longer boils and, and uh, you know, develop uh, lo- with a longer boil, develop some of the rich melanoidins um, that you want. Now, if you're using a more highly modified Munich or, you know, uh, again, uh, look at the look at the Kolbach index as an indicator. You may want to cut that in that boil time down to avoid going overboard. Now, so earlier saying that uh, you know identical recipe, one decocted, one not, you'd taste uh, definite differences between the two. Um, you know, how do you explain you know the results that Denny's getting and that I got on on our side by side test? Yeah, because I, I I can say with all due respect, John. Um, in my experiment, it was the exact same recipe brewed both as a decoction and either as a single infusion or a step mash. And, you know, the results just did not bear that out. Interesting. Now, uh, what style of beer was this? Well, you know, that was, that was one of the interesting things. What I wanted to do was kind of get an overview of what kind of beers home brewers might typically make and what kind of decoction they might do you know uh-huh. i didn't want to limit it to anything because you know commercial brewers have their world but i'm firmly set in the home brewer world so right. i asked people just to brew whatever beer they thought about i brewed both a german pills and a dunkel 
A friend of mine brewed a, a Dort export. Uh, a guy in Iowa brewed an alt, and then a, a guy in Australia brewed just a pale ale. And for me, uh, I, I did a uh, Oktoberfest. Okay, so we really got quite a variety of styles there. And there were tastings done in Iowa and Australia and uh, here here in Eugene with me. And here in Eugene, all of my eight tasters were either BJCP judges or professional brewers. Wow, okay. So, so you're saying with the exact same recipe? Exact and... same recipe. And the overall results, I can, I can show you right here. Um, more people thought that the um, decocted beer was maltier by a margin of 20 to 16, no preference being 6. More okay. body, these are the questions I asked the tasters, decocted got 17, but non-decocted got 22. Uh-huh. Uh, sweeter, they were pretty much equal overall. Uh, head retention, there was no preference overall, which was closer to BJCP style, no pre- preference overall. Um, when I asked them to pick which beer they thought was decocted, more people picked the non-decocted beer than the decocted beer. Mm-hmm. by about uh, 18 to 16. And when we asked for the overall preference of beers, the decocted beers were preferred by 20 to 17. But when you add in the no preference with the non-decocted, that comes out to about like 28 to 22. With, uh-huh. you know, so. Well, and this is where I was thinking, all right, I've only done this with, uh, you know, the, the more highly modified malts, and maybe it's the longer proteins, maybe it's something along those lines that really makes uh, the difference to this, right? Uh, I would, I would so, agree with that. I, I have a, a and, good friend who has, uh, back in the days when St. St. Pat's was selling their under-modified Moravian malt, uh, brewed some hefts and some uh, pills, both decocted and non-decocted, with that malt, and this this guy is a you know he's he's won a gold at NHC, so he knows what he's doing. And there was a definite difference in these beers. So, as John was saying, I think a lot of it depends on the malt, and mm-hmm. it, it depends on your decoction regime too. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say next. You know, how long a decoction? How right, long were you boiling pretty, these decoctions? Pretty, in my experiment, everybody did a single decoction. I didn't ask you know again for any decoction schedule in particular or anything. Everybody did a single, and boil times were 30 to 45 minutes. Okay. So, you know, if you're doing a double or triple decoction and boiling each one for an hour, I, I can't speak to that. Uh, other, okay. Although other, you know, um, studies can, and if uh, somebody right. wants to email me, I can email you the links to some of these. They're very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why don't we take a short break, and when we come back, we'll uh, kind of get into uh, you know some recommendations and maybe some people could do some experimentation, and we'll be back right after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back.
In the past year, the Brewing Network has been able to add two new shows, expand our studio capabilities and quality, and bring more beer information home to you than ever before. In no small part, this is due to subscribers like you. Thank you from all of us at the Brewing Network. Without your monthly support of any denomination, we could not bring you the very best in live beer radio like Can You Brew It? Brew Strong and the Sunday Session. Haven't signed up yet? Join your fellow brewers in the BN Army. Sign up today at thebrewingnetwork.com for a recurring donation as little as $2 a month. Besides all the great live radio you'll support, every subscriber is automatically entered in monthly raffles for amazing brew gear like a conical firm a temperature control system, or your own draft setup. Become a part of the BN Army today. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months at the, the next ahead, meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines, I'm the professional. <clears throat> Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. BN Army members, are you looking for a discount on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at NicoBrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. Choose from varieties like Amarillo, Centennial, East Kent Goldings, Hollytower, Simcoe, Summit, Tomahawk, Warrior, Willamette, and more. And adding new varieties all the time, many for less than 20 bucks a pound. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum-sealed and frozen straight to you. Nico's Homebrew Supply offers store-wide $5 flat rate shipping and won't waste your money on unnecessary overhead or advertising. They're going bare bones and passing the savings on to you. The staff at Nico's Homebrew Supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby. And for a limited time, use coupon code BNARMY at checkout for a Brewing Network discount. Visit NicoBrew.com. That's N-I-K-O Brew.com for your hops and more. NicoBrew.com, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. White Labs, your source for maltose mowing monsters, announces the White Labs Platinum lineup for 2009. Looking for out-of-the-ordinary yeast to make the best beer possible? The Platinum strains from White Labs are only available for a limited time and make your homebrew stand out. Through February, find Australian Ale, Essex Ale, and Dusseldorf Alt Yeast. March and April, it's Nottingham Ale, Abbey 4, and Mexican Lager Yeast. And May through June, don't miss Premium Bitter Ale, Belgian Wit 2, and Belgian Bastogne Ale Yeast. Keep up with all the great yeasts in the White Labs Platinum Program at whitelabs.com, where you can also join the White Labs Customer Club. Brew with the freshest and most unique yeast with the White Labs 2009 Platinum Strains. White Labs, it's all in the vial. 
Okay, I rolled a 15 and I get a plus two from my yeast starter. Nope, sorry, you failed your roll. Your beer is infected. No way! You had to be to 24. It's schizosaccharomyces. This sucks! I just failed versus oxidation. Our party is fracked. Doug's the only one left and his beer is a Berliner Weiss. What's this? A tea party? Hey, this is a brew session, man. Get lost. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really uh, use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Does your significant other know the difference between an Irish red ale and a Flanders red ale? Do you burp, strizzle, spalt, and fart Y yeast 2308? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs, ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the socially awkward Patters beer and the sci-fi convention showstopper number eight make 10th level at northernbrewer.com you're listening to the brewing network like the lance armstrong of the beer world except for that nut thing this is brew strong Okay, we're back. We're talking decoction. We got the decoction battle royale going on between uh, two heavyweights, Denny Cohn <laughs> and uh, John Palmer. No kidding. You guys both need to lose some weight. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So before the break, we were we were talking. Uh, we're talking about maybe you know it's uh, you know the less modified malts could could have some impact on that. It's longer starches. It's you know different uh, nitrogen. You know uh, different levels, different kind of malt. Maybe that's the key to actually the decoction meaning something versus the decoction really not meaning anything at all or very little, which is what Denny's uh, tests and the, the uh, one limited test that I did uh, have shown. So. Uh, uh, you know, what can we pull away from this? What what experiments are still yet to be done? And, uh, you know, what can people take away from this? What should uh, the average brewer do? I mean, if, if you're asking me, I say that no matter what my results show, everybody should try it for themselves um, and and make up their own minds, but go about that using a procedure that doesn't, bias your thinking. Um, you know, one of the things that I started getting into after I did this was looking at various percept, how people perceive things and how preconceptions can uh, influence that. And found a, a study that Charlie Bamforth had done where he gave uh, the sa- two of the same beer to these groups of people but told them different things about each beer and that totally influenced their perceptions of the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are other similar studies done, uh, you know, where they give kids hamburgers in a, in a generic paper bag and in a McDonald's paper bag, and it's the same burger, but they prefer the one in the McDonald's bag. Mm-hmm. So you can't um, um, really um, make up your mind unless you do it totally objectively, and don't let anybody tell you what's going on. Don't know what's going on. Don't make one batch and then another batch and go, oh, yeah, the decocted one's better. Do the same recipe back to back and uh, have somebody pour the beers for you, pour 
two glasses of one and one glass of the other and so that you don't know which is which, try and pick out the one that's different. And I'll tell you, it's not easy. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I think it has a lot to do with, like Danny says, with uh, perception. You know, what you, especially for brewers that haven't brewed or, you know, are brewing these beers, you know, a, a month or two after the previous batch and saying, oh, yeah, I taste a difference because, you know, they're not remembering it accurately. I mean, uh, I think, I think also longer decoctions. You know, the the two step or three step decoction would start magnifying some of these differences. Um, the that there's there's a lot of variables to consider. Um, uh, definitely, definitely so, and that's why I'm saying that everybody should give it a try and see what they think, and be objective about the results. Uh, you know. I mean, that's what we've all done, uh, and that's where our, our impressions come from. And there's yeah. no reason that people shouldn't do that for themselves. Right. Yeah. So, and maybe if you are really interested in pursuing decoction or feel it's, it, it's necessary, you know, definitely do it. Uh, you know, maybe look into these uh, lesser modified malts, the Brees malt that John talked about, uh, you know, Munich malt, things along those lines. Stick to those maltier, uh, uh, malt-focused uh, beers like uh, Box, uh, maybe a Heffa, maybe Oktoberfest, things along those lines, and then uh, you know play around with the uh, the uh, decoction times and the and the number of decoctions. If you're doing a, uh, a simpler uh, you know pale ale or uh, you know what 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 have you, um, and using uh, you know highly modified malts that are you know pretty much every malt you get today, uh, unless you're hunting for something specific that isn't. Um, you know, uh, my take on it is just not worth the time and the effort. You're really, uh, you know, take that time to brew more beer, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or, or spend more well, time well, focused on take, yeah, right, fermentation. Or, or, you're brewing. Right, right. Yeah. Because uh, it, is, it is pretty labor-intensive to... Uh, yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, you know, and a lot of people say, well, I don't know if it makes a difference or not, but I had the day and I enjoyed the process. Well, it's like, what the hell? Then why not do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, just... Uh, just don't claim that it will always necessarily make better beer because yeah i agree there i agree it's it's a it's a different method it's a different mashing method in that was intended for different malts than we typically have today and and to get the best out of that method using that kind of malt is what you need to do yeah yeah okay and, uh, well, I guess that's it then. We've uh, kind of covered what decoction is, and we've gone through, uh, uh, you know, the steps you would, you would do to, to make it, uh, do a decoction. Uh, John, did you have any modifiers? You, you listened to Denny uh, give his uh, method for uh, decoction, but I didn't give you a chance to uh, kind of weigh in on how you would uh, do your decoction. Oh, well, I don't, I don't de- <laughs> I don't decock very often. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had to think back a long time. Yeah, um, I've done I've done doubles, um, and because I'm thinking that you know we're we're lo- working with today's you know more modified malts, I usually start with the um, 
you know, right, an upper an upper level uh, protein rest, you know, dough in at that temperature and quickly move to decoction. Or I'll use the decoctions to move from, uh, say, a beta to alpha amylase uh, kind of step and then go from the, you know, a low amylase to a, a mash out or a high amylase, you know, for the second decoction. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what beer. I used it for an Oktoberfest. Um, I think I used it for a Vienna uh, once. Um, you know, the beers turned out great, but uh, you know, I, I, I haven't done myself the uh, the back to back to see, um, you know, to state to to have a good opinion on how how much of a difference there was. I've you know I've done I've done both styles with single infusion, and uh, those beers turned out great too. So, but I, you know, I haven't had them side by side to compare. Yeah, and and that's that's the the real tell, you know. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the uh, question coming in from the chat um, refers to decoction as a mini mash. We kind of touched on that. Um, is uh, is that uh, you know how would you go about doing that? You know, we talked about it being uh, possible. How would how would you do it? Man, you know what I you know I just kind of like did my first mini mash and extract beer in 10 years today and thinking through how I would have done that as a decoction after I had uh, maybe steeped the grain for 15 minutes or so I would have pulled off the grain to another pot leaving the liquid behind uh, boiled that for a while and then uh, maybe put that back into the original pot Man, I don't, does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, are you really going to be, yeah, I guess you'll get some, and steep it again for a while longer, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And plus yeah. any liquid the enzymes are in the liquid. Pot, you'd so. want to add in, too. Right. Yeah. You know? The problem you know, being, you don't have a, a whole lot of other mash to depend upon for enzymes. Yeah, right. well, you know, and again, I don't think you need to worry about enzymes. You're just kind of developing mired reactions mm-hmm. at, at this yeah. point for flavor. Mm-hmm. But you know what I would do seriously? I mean, this beer that I did today was uh, an amber ale, and I used a whole shitload of Kara Red and a little bit of melanoidin malt in it for that kind of flavor, and... You know, that might be a whole, I mean, just, again, when you go back to some of these studies that have been done, they they say that either decoction doesn't have a huge effect or you can mimic that effect by adjusting the grist. So maybe add in something like Kararet or Melanoidin to make up for it and make your life easy. Yeah. Okay. Now, it's, you know, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, the one area that I most often use decoctions is for, uh, temperature adjustment you, know, you have a single infusion in a cooler where i'm not directly eating uh the mash um you know i i look at my i check my temperature in my in the in my single infusion mash and sometimes i'm low or sometimes the temperature is falling off from where i want it to be i'll quickly pull a decoction and boil that and then add it back in and this, is to this get, a thick decoction or a thin one john a thick one a thick one. Um, yeah, and you know, depending on, depending on where I am in the mashing process, if it's toward the end, uh, then I'll I'll grab a thicker. I mean, a thinner one, a thinner because, one. because because you know most of my conversions happened or should have happened. Um, but see, uh, me, me being the pragmatic guy, I would just toss in a bit of boiling water. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, 
I think uh, sometimes I've done it. I feel like I have enough water in there. I just uh, I just want to you know use the grist instead. But uh, okay, one last question from the chat room before we uh, wrap it up: uh, Is there a negative effect in uh, holding the main mash in the protein rest range while doing the decoction? Yeah. Depend. Yeah, it depends on your malts. <laughs> I'm sure John will have a much better explanation than that. But yeah, I mean, that was the technical response from Denny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, in, in the first place, you know, I, 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 again, I believe that there's very, very rarely any reason to do a protein rest in the traditional temperature range of like you know the 122, 125, and. Uh, unless you have malt that specifically requires it. If you're going to do something, at least go up into the 130s. But, again, if you since most malts are highly modified, it's going to be malt-dependent like a decoction. And with a, with a well or highly modified malt, you certainly don't want to hold a protein rest more than, say, maybe 10, 15 minutes, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, That's right, yeah. I'll just, I'll just agree with that and say that when you're doing a protein rest with today's highly, fied, highly modified malts, and we're talking Kobach index 40 and above of most any of most any malt that you'll get, um, it's like it's it's literally all the all the control of a blender on puree. <laughs> you know, you know, it's you you throw you, if you hit the protein rest range, it's like hitting the button a few times. 10, 15 minutes, yeah, you're going to generate some more soluble protein, but you're also going to be reducing the yeah. soluble protein you already have into smaller and smaller pieces, producing more you know, free amino nitrogen. I mean, as you know, is right. it, it's it's large proteins go into small proteins. So, and uh, uh, would this would this uh, you know um, limit your ability to do double, triple decoction because you're going to want to start in that lower range? Uh, if you're adding well, the 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 uh, decoction back, uh, the decoct back to the uh, the main mash, uh, you know if you if you start out higher, then pff, boy you're gonna you know you're gonna blow past uh, you know what range you want, right? Yeah, I think I think to do a triple decoction, you really need to have the less modified malts to give yeah. you give yourself some some time in the protein rest area. Um, Otherwise, a decoction you could do, you know, uh, one from say like you know one forty-five. I mean, you could do that. The, one, the old yeah, fixed one, schedule, the fifty, sixty, seventy, right? Yeah, yeah, one forty, one fifty, you know, one sixty kind of thing. Yeah, the right. Four, so do do one, you know, from like like beta to alpha range, and then one to mash out, and call it good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, Let's wrap it up then. I, I think uh, you know the, the decoction is is pulling a, a part of the mash out, boiling it to uh, free up starches, develop melanoidins, and then adding it back to the mash. And that can also uh, be used to raise temperature of your mash and, and get to different steps and rests in in your your mash process. Uh, we're we're kind of torn between whether you actually are are getting this benefit or not. Whether it's the same, uh, definitely with the uh, the highly modified malts, we really don't see enough of a difference to 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 make it worthwhile. Perhaps with the under modified malts, uh, you might find that uh, you know there's something there that that could be gained. Um, Denny and I are both very lazy brewers, and uh, that's pr- pragmatic, Jamil. Oh, okay, pragmatic. Uh, that's that's a better word. Uh, I thought we were just lazy, and uh, you know, t- tend to skip that and use uh, some some additional grains to just uh, make up for any perceived uh, uh, differences there. 
And uh, John, being a very hard worker and industrious uh, little bee, uh, <laughs> is, is still willing to do the decoctions. But you know, we can leave it up to you. You should you should really experiment, but don't uh, don't just blindly follow along and say, "Oh yeah, this this does that." Um, yeah. That's that's the problem with most of the internet lore that's out there. You want to do uh, uh, you know your own experiments, do blind tastings, like Denny is suggesting, and uh, you know see see if there really is a uh, a, a difference between those two. Anyways, uh, we'll be back with a live show from the NHC, which will be the Q&A show for Brew Strong. Uh, and you see your other favorite uh, brewcasters there at the BN4 anniversary party at Linden Street Brewery. That's going to be Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Uh, it is going to be uh, quite the blowout, as uh, all the anniversary parties are. You're going to want to make that one. If you can't make it, or even if you can, make sure to uh, donate to the Brewing Network. Go to the uh, main page, click that donate button, and for two bucks a month, you get entered into raffles. You know what they're raffling off this this month? It's going to be a more beer brew sculpture, which is what you know, I brew you, on. Yeah, you know what I think of when I think of a more beer sculpture, Jamil? <laughs> Heaven. <laughs> it, no, it's like JP holding a discus. Jesus Christ! We had a good show going until then, John. You had to you had to go and, and churn my stomach at the last minute. from my mind. All right. Anyways, uh, if you get a chance to come out there, uh, great. If not, uh, until uh, until we see you again, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everybody. See you guys next week. Cheers. <laughs>